0: Welcome to episode 37 of Behind the Pros. This show was recorded live at the Creative Nonfiction Writers Conference in Pittsburgh. It features Lee Goodkin and he gives a master presentation on how to structure your long form nonfiction. I apologize for the audio. It sounds a little bit far away because if you've ever seen Lee Goodkin live, you know he doesn't stay in one place. Uh, He moves around in the back of the room, the front of the room. And I did not have a lavalier mic on him. And my Zoom H4n recorder was not properly positioned to uh, handle that. So I did the best I could to clean it up for you. Let me know what you think. I will at some point hopefully do a transcription so we can get you the information that you might have missed or might not be able to hear as well. Also check out the show page for the documents that he gave out during the presentation and in the second half after the intermission he really starts going over those documents. So I think that would be helpful for you. Without further ado, here's Lee Goodkin.
1: So we learned
2: to we learned to, to, to look at our work. We learned to look at our work in two different ways. Uh, and read our work both from a reader's eye yourself. And, and the reader's eye is simply this. I always pretend when I'm finished with my work, and I think it's absolutely positively perfect, uh, that came my mind before, mm-hmm. but I pretend I'm kind of looking over my reader's shoulder. I look over my reader's shoulder and try to mind meld my reader with my reader so that I can read the work that I have written from his or her point of view. So that's what I do first. And anything that, ha- that that maybe stops the reader from um, from anything that stops the reader from reading um, makes it. Um, it's okay. Don't work. Well, anything that stops the reader uh, from not reading my prose smoothly is something I have to pay attention to. But structure is something else. When, you, when a writer looks at his or her work, a writer looks at it uh, almost like an engineer or a building. A writer looks at a bridge or a building and sees it the way um, the way consumers see it, the way uh, people who are walking across the bridge see it. But uh, the architect and the engineer also sees the superstructure, the way in which it's put together. And what we're going to now do is see the superstructure. Figure it out, like I said, from small to large. So, one thing to remember, that creative nonfiction, a creative nonfiction story, is actually a balancing act. And this is what we're going to talk about all the way through this session today. This balance between style and substance. Creative nonfiction, two words, creative and nonfiction. It means style, it means substance. The style is the creative part of the story part. The substance is the information or the nonfiction part. And so, what we want to do is establish kind of a balance between the two not giving too much story to our reader and not giving too much information or nonfiction to our reader at the same time. That story drives the <coughs> reader, the story moves the reader forward. Important uh, in getting a reader to understand and to learn what we want to teach them. The
1: nonfiction part is what we want to teach them.
2: But you know, readers, um, uh, readers don't, and I know this has happened to you a thousand times, that, because um, it happens to me all the time, if the writer focuses on the information for too long without getting back to the story, your eyes glaze over, and then you rush through the information as fast as possible in order to pick up the stream of the story. Okay, so the balance of it all is really important. Something to think about. Something to think about. But I'm telling you not to think. Okay, don't think. No, look, look. Um, I want you to think. Okay, I definitely want you to think, and you know, writers, writers, and writing programs. The story will lead to your point sooner or later. The story will lead to the information. Okay? And that's all part of this balance. Story, style, substance, story,
1: information,
2: creative, and motivation. So, uh, we're back to structure. Have I mentioned structure before? I don't think so. Yes, yeah, we're back at structure. And to talk a little bit more about Okay. Now, the building blocks of creative nonfiction are scenes and little stories. Scenes are little stories. Okay. And um, and and that's how they that's how your work moves from place to place in your in your narrative or in your essay or in your chapter, no matter how long or how short it really is. So
1: um, and now. so remember that
2: the scene. There needs to be seen something happens in a scene. There is another class that kind of is um, defining scene, but it's a scene is a little story. It has a beginning and an end. It has. times, but this is basically the idea, the way in which you think about putting your work together. So, so, so were you to look at um, a book or look at a New Yorker article or look at your own work, you should, and you yellow in, do the yellow test, maybe um, 40, 50 to 60 percent of yellow should be flaring and glaring back at you because the building blocks non are or scenes, they're little stories, if you yellow in those stories, then, um, then you know you kind of, you're kind kind of doing it the way most successful pieces are being done. And if you're not doing it that way, okay, so you're not doing it that way. Um, you're a writer, if you're doing it the way you want to do it, you're trying to make yourself happy, satisfied, and do your best work, this is okay. But if, if, in, if there isn't a significant amount of yellow, it should at least be a red flag for you to say, "Hmm, this isn't necessarily like most <coughs> successful creative nonfiction. Should sure. I look at this a little bit more carefully?" You may look, look at it a little, a little bit more carefully and still feel that, uh, and still feel that 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 what you want to do is stick to what you have written um, and forget the yellow, yellow test. At least you'll know, okay? okay. But basically, 90% of the time, there is this C information, C information, a uh, rotation. So, let me, so so that's what I suggest you do. Now, um, with, a, with a piece, whether it be 500 or 600 words, okay, 800 words, size of an op-ed piece in, uh, in your local paper, 15 or uh, 1,200 or 1,500 words, uh, size of some of those op-ed pieces, your draft, 3,000 words, which is the size of uh, pretty much what the creative nonfiction publishes, or a, or a chapter of a book, which should be 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 words. It doesn't matter. It's the same yes. general idea, idea all the way through. Okay. After you have had, you know, your creative, explosive experience. Okay. So let me show you, yes. you a grid now. Again, we're being happy. And, and, and um, I'd like you to just look at your work this way for a minute. That um, the way in which most terrific books, chapters, essays, articles begin is with some sort of a strong story, a, a theme, a story that brings the reader into whatever it is you want to tell them. Okay? That's how you get the reader involved. If you get the reader involved with background information or if you try to get the reader involved with, with interesting information, that better be damn interesting, or background information, you link them in, you compel them, compel them with some sort of good story, okay? And then you get them involved in the story, and then you begin to give them information, okay? Usually it is information that put, brings context. the story, okay, so
1: so that the reader understands some of the things that,
2: uh, that are important to understand about the first story and about the third story, and so that the reader, remember the reader, remember that reader, the reader goes straight forward, you don't want that reader to stop, you want to keep that reader interested in what you're doing and what you're saying, so there's a scene, then there's information,
0: then there's a scene, then there's information, then there's C then
2: there's information but notice, as you begin to provide all of this information um, uh, you're providing a lot of essential information, as I said to put your story into context and after a while you're writing more C than you are information, because all of the basic stuff that you need to introduce um, has been introduced, but you're also thinking little bit more clearly about um, about um, about the way in which you continue and I'm using the M-word the manipulating of the readers because this is kind of what you're doing. This is not a thing to say. I know that uh, that, that you're you gonna think ill of me for saying this but but those readers, you gotta put them in your hand. You gotta hold them and you gotta make them do what you want them them through the structure, okay.
1: So, um, so you're not seeing information, seeing information.
2: Then, what you're doing next in every possible way is embedding or sneaking information inside the scenes, okay? It's
1: still that music, that creative nonfiction jazz, that music in
2: um, information, information, action, action, information. You're kind of putting it in there, so. When you look at all of that, you'll kind of see a grid of maybe of a piece for me of maybe three or four thousand words. Now, um, there is um, usually the first scene and the last scene are in many ways broken, because there is an overall story to what you're doing, and this is something else that you need to. that um, that we'll talk about in great detail, that there are scenes in the middle that are related to your overall story, but there's an overall story, what we call a frame or a narrative arc that locks the other stories into place. There's almost always a narrative arc or a frame. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the frame, the overall story, which is usually linked with the first scene and the last scene, bookended in some respects, uh, keeps the other stories together. We'll talk about how that happens in a little while. Now I want to deconstruct for you a scene. I'm going to deconstruct this scene for you, um, um, and, the, and as you will see as we go further, um, the deconstruction of this little scene is very much the deconstructing a larger piece and and
0: even a larger piece than that
2: humanable. So this is the first
0: chapter. This is the first
2: sentence. Uh, This is the first sentence of the first chapter of a memoir written by um, Jeanette Walls that's been on the bestseller list off and on since 2005. It's called um, um, uh, The Black Castle. I was sitting in a taxi, wondering if I had overdressed in the evening, when I looked out the window and I saw Mom rooting through a Okay, a mm-hmm. nice sentence, isn't it? Who read this book? Lots of people. Cool. I love that. It gets you involved. It is action-oriented. It begins a little story and gets you involved right away. It's really difficult for you, the reader. Do not go forward a little bit to figure out um, why this woman is sitting in a taxi overdressed no less, while her mother is rooting through a dumpster. One thing, a little story that kind of, at the beginning of the story that really gets you involved and makes you think about it. Okay, So it begins with, with some sort of action. Okay? And there's something else here. That, um, that I want to talk about. and It's what I like to call the what's at stake factor. What's at stake?
0: So, so
2: as soon as you possibly can, as soon as you can, what you want to do is make sure that there is something at stake in the story that will, um, that, will, that will make the reader begin to think more about, uh, to, that will make the reader uh, buy-in to the situation. And stay with you a bit longer so you, you want your reader to learn you want your reader to care you want your reader to be curious okay so so you need to always ask yourself what's at stake for my character um, uh, or for me finding the main character what's at stake and as many as many what's at stake factors the better off you are for
1: kinds of reader involved as you'll see Okay? So, uh, first sentence
2: starts the story, and then, although, and then, what happens next? Setting and detail. So, information that helps put the story in context. Okay? So, it was just after dark. A blustery, March wind. What's the scene coming kind of out of the manhole, And people hurry along the sidewalk where their collars turned up. I was stuck in traffic two blocks from the party where I was headed, okay? So, so we know nothing more about mom, really. Um, the action of the story has been delayed while the writer kind of builds the scene a little bit and gives us this kind of information, okay? And then, mom, back to mom, right? We're back to the store. We're back to mom. Mom stood 15 feet away. She had tied rags around her shoulders to keep out the spring chill and she was picking through the trash while her dog, a black and white terrier mix played at her feet. And notice the skillful look, and we will, we'll talk a bit more about this, but notice the skillful use of uh, specific details, okay? It's just not a dog. It's a black and white terrier mix. You always want to use what we call specific or intimate information. In order to make your readers or help your readers visualize what you see and what you want them to see. Okay? So um, so it's not just, she's not chilly, it's a screen chill. Okay? She has rags around her shoulders. Okay? So uh, again, we're back to the action action, background information, action, and more background. Mom's gestures, we're all familiar. The way she tilted her head and thrust out her lower lip when studying items of potential value that she hoisted out of the dumpster. The way her eyes widened with childish glee when she found something she liked. Her long hair was streaked with gray, tangled, and matted, and her eyes had become deep into their sockets, but still, still, she reminded me of a mom she'd been when I was a kid. Swan diving on cliffs and painting in the desert and reading Shakespeare aloud, Her cheekbones were still high and strong, but then the skin was parched and ruddy from all those winters and summers exposed to the elements. So what's happening now, okay? We're going deeper into background information.
1: And and remember, we're looking at this little piece that's only about 250 words. We're looking at this little piece that is a scene, a little story, and
2: we're even to take a look, going back into the history of their relationship. Relationship, okay? All of that in this one paragraph. Um, so um, we see what she looks like now, but we also know what it was like when they were when, when the narrator was a kid and they were in the desert, and they were not in the desert only reading, they were reading Shakespeare aloud, um, and, um, and, um, and her long hair wasn't just long, it was tangled and matted. So we're getting background information we're going into history and when I talk to you about, the, about the, the putting together a whole book then um, um, there are chapters about history, okay? First there's a story, then you get the story and the, the people then there's information about the main characters and then they, you go back in time and talk about history, okay? You don't start with history, that would probably be silly you would start with your main important story and then go back in time, just like Jeanette Wallace is in this very, very tight, very, very short scene or story. The people walking by, she, mom, probably looked like any of the thousands of homeless people in New York City. It had been months since I laid eyes on mom, and when she looked up, I was overcome with panic that she'd see me and call out my name, and if someone on the and mom would introduce herself and my favorite would be out end of little story a really terrific, compelling scene okay and remember, a good scene has a beginning <coughs> and end, and can pretty much stand on its own it just sits there, it's a story now, of course, this is unsatisfying, and she's going to move
1: on, but the thing yeah, this block of yellow this represents a perfect plot of yellow.
2: It's got information. It's got action. The action is 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 integrated into the information, and the information is integrated into the action. You get you get you get the reader involved. The reader is wondering two things, not just one thing. How the heck, mom, is that, is, uh, did mom get to this dumpster? Um, and uh, why is she rooting through this dumpster now? And two, her daughter is going to a party in a factory, overdressed for God's sake, and, 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 and she's embarrassed to see her mom. Okay? So we have these two things that your readers are curious about. And the what's at stake factor, their relationship, mom's health. What's going on? There is this thing that's making you. And pushing the reader forward. So this is what you need to do. Whether you're structuring something really short or really long, you need to get the reader involved, and then make them stay involved. So the reader would and teach them at the same time. So uh, the reader was allowed to stay involved. Uh, and, And and here's something else that for those of you who read this, I know you know this, and I think it's really cool. This is the truth. Um, that. Um, so that's the first thing we read in a 70,000-word book. So guess what? Guess how long it takes until we find out how mom got to the dumpster and what she was doing in the dumpster and what the daughter was in the taxi doing in the taxi watching her mom. Pretty much the last chapter of the book. Okay, because you never. This is the thing. If you leave now, okay. Um, <laughs> but if you leave now, remember this. Is really important. Make your readers want to know something. Okay, but never tell them what they, they want to know until you tell them what you want to tell them. Okay, you're them in your hands with your story. You're making them an eight to find out what happened to mom and, um, and and the daughter. I need to know. I need to know. Well I'm not going to tell you until so you listen to me about whatever. Okay? And periodically, periodically, if it's a bit longer than uh, a short piece like that, you go back. This is part of structure. You go back and say, "By the way, do you remember that you really poor mom?" Okay, three hundred words later, uh, work back at the dumpster, right? And you know, mom's choking on some, um, you know, on a, on a carton of Happy and cottage cheese or whatever. Okay, to remind the reader of what the reader ought to care about, or there's another narrative that the reader is beginning to care about as well. So that's kind of. The way in which we structure short pieces, and you will see it's the way in which we structure long pieces. And so, I will read. Uh, any questions? I mean, how did no, I know your right? I policy, you the question? I absolutely it Okay, what? Um, well, relating it to
1: what you had us read, and through your piece
2: for our so it's the same idea, right? That, that we didn't know what could happen. Yeah, I'll leave at picture of it. But, um,
1: Can everybody hear Paul? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, great. so, it's the same
2: concept, yes. that you've So, I mean, I wanted to know, first of all, who was going out at the beginning, or who was the admiral or the machine. Before. And then, we wanted to know if it succeeded, especially for a biological Right. So, so, you're holding it until the end to see what happens. Right. Yeah. Same process. Exactly. See, I think, Um, it's it, um, exactly that, that what's at stake in this particular case is Groundhog, you know? Is Groundhog going to be successful? Is Red Whitaker's voice going to be successful? Will Groundhog... What? I'm sorry, not having enough information. Not having enough information. The reader not having enough information. The reader not oh, oh. What am I thinking about?
1: Well, what do you suggest that people think
2: about? <laughs> I suggest you do what well. well. I tell you to do, don't, and I, follow Yellow I don't understand exactly what you're asking. So, like, I mean, I talk a lot with the writer group about how to, uh, you
1: know, there's some. How much information
2: do you give? Ah, okay. So I can answer that question in um, anywhere from two to five minutes. Because okay. I have a slide. I have a I have a okay? <laughs> when I started my life um, as a writer and a teacher, I taught created creative writing program, okay? For a long, long time. Now, um, I am uh, the um, writer in residence in the science policy, think tank. and I hang out every day. To be on a life, right? Begin, begin when the person is not, or was born, or whatever. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. and having to do with your
1: thought sure that you have some circle that has a premature reveal. Right.
2: Well, yeah, we it has to be in. Okay, okay. because we're writing okay. literature, but it's just I'm giving you. figure out what your reader knows, sorry what your reader needs to know to understand that story to put that story into context, okay Um, and and that's a limiting factor, you don't want to give information that is, over what that 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 goes beyond the story line you want to make sure that the Story is filled in and your reader knows everything that he or she needs to know to move on to the next story or the next bit of information, okay? So, so the story will tell you, how much, you give, how much information to give, okay? And the story will tell you when you're giving too much information if it doesn't relate to the story that
0: has been so far told. And the more the story is being told, the more
2: information you Provide your reader. That story is the determining factor because it's the story that gives the reader the lie. It's the story that propels the reader forward. So the reader will follow the story and then you fill in the information, just like Janet Walsh did. The story determines the information you provide. Yes, yeah. is the story the premise? It's the story of premise. When, when you are saying the story, I don't know what my story is. It's just dive in and write it. Okay. Well, but I don't know what it is. So, premise. the premise. <laughs> oh, oh, premise. Yeah. I, I hear <laughs> what I, I, I do. So I didn't write the damn story. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then see where it goes. You know, I mean, this is writing. This is you know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure Faith Tobin didn't have his symphonies in mind before he sat down and wrote. Well, okay. okay, or listened to, it. or whatever. One depends upon what we're
1: writing or we're writing a memoir uh, or we writing or we hanging out
2: with uh, physicians or baseball players or whatever um, uh, but it's really hard to... I'm, I'm giving it a structure it may, it maybe it seems like I'm turning I'm turning uh, creative writing into science and I don't need to do that because uh, I keep saying coming back to I just write and uh and, and, then, and, then, and then start figuring out what to do next.
1: Yeah. So, um, how does this work for more academic credit? So, there's red and pretty dense.
2: You learn so much. when we were asking for money, we would only get money So I think I had a slide having to do. There was a question that relates to this slide. I know a long time ago, but now I can't remember what it is. go back, 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 back in time, providing other stories, other information, other ideas, okay? Keeping the reader paralyzed or at least intrigued by the first part of the story you tell them. And when you start close to the peak of the action, the reader has this sense that I only need to know one more thing. I only need you to know just a little bit further, and then I can go and have a here go to that, take a back, whatever. Okay? So so you're, you're teasing that You are playing through, Okay? So starting close to the peak of the action. Now remember that you're going to jump in and tell a story. So usually you're going to end up starting close to the peak of the action. After you figure out what the action is, you're going to write the story first and then move stuff around. Okay, a couple more things. okay? There is a frame and a focus in uh, almost all pieces of creative conviction. By frame, I mean the overall story, the narrative line, or the narrative part. So, the narrative art is this one story that is being told from beginning to end. There are many themes
1: in your stories. Okay, um, but all the themes
2: together—the theme information, scene information, scene information, the music that I've been talking about—is knitted together by one overall story. A frame. It is framed. Your scenes are framed in a larger story. Okay,
1: so you can't okay. just have scenes. Scenes um, going to by Um the scenes need
2: to relate and fit into a larger uh, context. So there is what we call the narrative arc or the narrative line. Okay, and then the focus is what you want to say, what your point or your thesis is. So, so this is how the structure works. All your scenes are put together in a narrative arc or a narrative line. Okay? And all your scenes relate, relate, in one way or the other, to the same focus or theme, the same general form. And that's why how they fit together. You can write 15 themes about some, but you may not be able to use 15 know And there are these parallel narratives parallel narratives. So there's the overall as long as there are a couple of other stories hanging on that you don't finish, so that the reader continues to live with you and stay with you. So, many books, it's hard to do parallel narratives with very short pieces, but the longer the piece, the more net, the more opportunities for related parallel narratives. So in that piece that we were talking about, about ground really of a friend carries injury um, will be um, or carries you know,
0: pain and recovery will will be that uh,
2: narrative part that will keep everything else that I'm trying to write about together now we go to some background information with this day just like with that C that I uh, showed you um, an hour ago 20 ago. The accident occurred on a week-long, 325-mile bike ride. Carrie and her three friends ran, rode 141 miles, blah, blah, blah. But the passengers the grant, and it was pouring, Carrie said, and then suddenly Carrie, her wheels lost traction on the wet slippery surface, and she felt the bike slip out from under her as she flew off the seat, And when she stood up, her face was bleeding profusely and her shoulder throbbed with pain. Okay? Now, this next sentence is a a really key sentence in this piece. If Carrie were writing about this experience, that is when she hit the ground and bounced up, shaking and bleeding would be her first scene. Okay? So my scene is talking to Carrie. Okay? But if she was doing this, as a writer, that would be that moment would be her first scene. And then back to the action. I'm sorry, then back to yes. The okay, then back to the end. continuing the action. They left the license in the rain, and uh, they tried to miles, blah, blah, blah. In the end they finally reached the end, the downpour was even more forceful, Carrie Restreet was and not choose a job. And then, what happens next? That's the plot of scene 2 mm-hmm. Dramatic, suspenseful, personal showing and not telling. Your readers will find out what happens next. So, this really is not a piece about carrying an accident. It is a piece about writing. In fact, it is a piece about the yellow test. Everything that I have said to you uh, over the past hour, Uh, more or less and so I began writing this as a story about Carrie but made the transition into a story about writing and um, and now we have um, now we're beginning to take it apart and uh, whoops sorry now we learn um, remember now we're going deeper into the information part. We have two stories right now that um, we are telling: Carrie's story of her recovery on, on her porch, and court Carrie's accident as well. But uh, at the same, now with those two stories <coughs> added as something to intrigue the reader, now we can go and talk a little bit about who Carrie is. She's a professor. Uh, Why Uh, were I talking about writing? Because she's asked me um, how to help her write for the general public, because she too is an academic and doesn't want to bore it, be boring. And then um, I begin to talk more about creative nonfiction. I just told you that um, research shows that stories are effective, um, uh, more effective than just regular uh, exposition. Uh, I give examples successful ways that the public appreciates through TV um, about communicating in stories so what is happening is two stories are being planted there and then information is being added and the denser information goes from who Carrie is to what Carrie wants uh, to have happen to the importance of stories you continue to down the line to provide information that relates to that relates into put and puts into context to the other information that's there and also to the story. Okay? I give examples um, of different themes. um, And I say to the reader, just like I said to you, that something happens no matter how criminal each, each the excerpt uh, I finally I go back to care. Okay? Um, we're back on that push, okay? And she tells me about what happened in the emergency emergency room. Um, um, she complains about her doctor because she didn't get enough pain medication. She really doesn't just talk about the visit from her mother. The real thing she says that her mother's a big pain in the rear, and she was sorry her mother came, and then um, and then and and each of that potential scene. We talk about. The other Thank you of these sharboards of um, um, I mean I mean no he's eighty four now and he probably won't live till five nine or ten. They don't yes. use all those short shirt, But he struck he only sketches out his stories on he and been doing that for somebody So if you if you ever want to Google, hey, okay, police um, um you can see Sure. I mean, if you ever feel like it, but they're, they're very cool. Okay. okay. So, um, so what else? Anything else? Any other questions? You sure. Questions not one. Questions not like, Um Let's take five minutes. For the and we'll come back and we'll work as much as we can and talk um, more
0: about um, structure. After a short intermission, Lee Goodkin continues his presentation. He starts with talking about his book, Almost Human, and reference in the document that he gave out, Deconstructing Almost Human, he takes us through the book chapter by chapter.
2: So um, the first thing that happens here, as you see in this chapter by chapter, is the explet- Now, i spent six years off and on at the robotic, uh, robotic institute, but um, but the narrative art here focuses on one many projects I've watched develop, but the larger project i uh, So the roboticists imagine, they design, they build a robot called ZOE. The objective is to show, the overall objective uh, of building ZOE is to show that uh, a robot can act autonomously and find Signs of water and life on Mars. Okay? And the important thing about building robots is, and making them think, is they need to be made uh, autonomous. They need to have cognition. They need to think for themselves. Okay? And so this robot, Zoe, sooner or later will be asked to go across Mars, okay, using these dye. And spray dyes along the ground, dig up where the spray, where the dyes hit the ground, uh, process the information that they um, find, and send it back to NASA on Earth. Okay? And if they do it, then the roboticist will be a success. The $5 million that NASA gave to Kern will Mellon will, will be justified, and sewing so will become maybe the next iteration of ZOE will become, uh, will be the, the next robot that goes to Mars. So that's the overall story, and the what at stake factor, okay? the, grand, the overall story of be 75,000 or 80,000 or 80, words, that, is, that, that will be the story into which a uh, lot of other stories are planted. But that's the narrative argument, okay? And it begins on Mars. That is to say that um, you probably don't know this. I'm sure you know this, but we can't get to Mars, okay? And so it's um, so a shock to some people, but um, we cannot get to Mars like Donald Trump would never. No, but um, <laughs> but we can't get there, by the way. Um, but um, but we can go to the place on Earth most like Mars, and that's the Atacama Desert in Chile, where. It hasn't rained in more than a hundred years, okay? A very cool place to be. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, so, so the roboticists, for three times, um, go and try to understand Mars, okay? And then build Zoe and try to test Zoe under conditions that are just like Mars in the Atomata. Uh, and it's really interesting. So, so, that's the setting. Remember, we talked about setting. You've got the overall story, then you've got the
1: setting, and that's um, and, and that's
2: uh, and that's the autokama. If my slideshow of the book, generally, I often can show two photographs or two slides: one of Mars and one of the autokama, and you can hardly tell the difference. Mm-hmm. It's so close. So. Uh, it's a very cool place. And um, so so it begins with the, it, it, the first chapter pretty much explains the narrative part that I have tried to just explain to you. And provides the setting where we are and introduces the main character, Zoe. Okay? So there we go. So already in the first chapter, Part 1, Wild to Base Camp. The book begins the time main characters, robots and human beings are introduced and the what's at stake back, okay, that I have already explained. Okay? That happens in the first chapter and then we go back in time and start telling other stories that relate to this to this main story, both thematically and from a narrative level, and introduce some of our main characters, like Red Whitaker. Now Red Whitaker is the father of field robots. So he wouldn't be there. Hardly any robot in field robots, big robots, would be existing today if it wasn't for this really important man in the history of engineering. Red, red, okay. So we're going. Back. Remember, we're going back in time. Introduce red, and then red. I gave you the Groundhog chapters. Red um, is now. Um, is, is gotten really hot to trot about about mind mapping. and so he and his he he uh, he uh, intimidates and charms
1: his students to build a mind mapping. Robot. And the robot goes into the mine,
2: and the robot loses himself, itself. And we don't quite know whether the robot is ever going to come out or not, but eventually they are allowed to rescue the robot. Okay? But the idea of young people, okay, the rookies, the young people who do all the work, that's still planted there. The creation of Groundhog in 2002. Is a beginning of the process that creates other more sophisticated robots. Like, show you a couple more, but like so, okay? And and so and some of the things that that groundhog can't do, some of the thinking and the autonomy and the and the cognition, the roboticists must must teach so to do. So it all connects. Going back in time, it all connects. Okay, Groundhog is a parallel narrative. Groundhog only goes along for two chapters, but okay. But it's another story with that on which you can do the yellow test that moves the overall narrative forward. And after that, um, after that, hold on. At the end of Part One, okay. Um, After those two Groundhogs. The last chapter in part one is called the lack of vision. And there we go back to the autocomatism. And there's more about Zoe and more about code writing. And but almost immediately as the operation starts in Chile on this particular day, um, Zoe can't see. Alright, poor Zoe. And so the operation of testing Zoe. Is the common, at this particular time is in peril. So the way we've done it, we've Zoe, we've introduced all the important things Zoe needs to do and how this young these young people will be gratified. We introduce the main character one of the main characters, we tell a side story, okay? And
1: then we go back to the main story.
2: Got it? Okay. So that's part that's that's the way in which Keep our readers involved and remember we have, by reminding them at all times of um, what's happening and what's at stake and, um, and what they need to remember. So, then another side story. The fact of the matter is that bed, not only are kids um, um, major players in this world, robotics world, but women are. And mother, Peloso is a really important, really brilliant woman trying to your try mine. But she is really annoyed. She is really annoyed at male roboticists who will not who will not move
1: the robotics world forward because they're so goddamn
2: selfish that they won't share their code. Okay? So my well, mother says we can really make a lot of progress. We can go to the movie, We can go to Mars. We can do all kinds of important, great things. But um, but but these guys can not share their code. We can only work together. So then she figures out this woman figures out how to get men to cooperate. Okay, and and um, and, and here it is. She figures out that men only cooperate when they. Come so she decides that she's going to start this robot, this 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 competition called Robo and she's going to challenge robotics. Young kids, the problems of writing code, the problems of making robots. Great, you're not looking, as you know. <laughs> Okay. So, um, other robots, we don't want to do that. That's the robo sections. Um, Google, Google will greet you at Carnegie Mellon and also tell you about the problem dating <laughs> <laughs> And then we're back. So, halfway through the book we go through all the other robots we introduce all the characters having to do with robots okay and twice we deal with the autocom in the beginning and then at the end of part one reminding the readers that we're still in the autocom and this is the still the main story and it's the story that that they're going to be waiting for so we have auto-common. Okay, and for the rest of the book, for the rest of the book, as you will see as you read the different chapters, it's the challenges facing the team of Zoe roboticists to get Zoe to work in the desert this time and in another time, and then to retrain Zoe, write more code, rebuild Zoe, and bring Zoe into the situation where it may or may not will or will not be able to do the job that, set that,
0: that they set out to make it do. Okay. Thanks for listening to Behind the Prose. This was a special excerpt from the Creative Nonfiction Writers Conference. Get more from Creative Nonfiction by visiting creativenonfiction.org. Listen to additional podcasts from the conference at Behind the Prose. Until next time, listen, learn, and write.